That's in the air, this could be out. Diamond's underneath it, will he catch it? He's got good hands, he's got him, yes he has. Diamond's got him in the deep, having fumbled all night, he's taken the big one. Hello and welcome to Couch Talk. The guest today is former England, Derbyshire and Sussex batsman Chris Adams. He talks about his baptism of fire facing South Africa in South Africa, his short England career, the life of a county professional, his times with Sussex as captain and the best English and overseas batsmen and bowlers he has played with and against amongst other things. Welcome to the show Chris. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's absolutely mine. You, you have your new book out, uh, Grizzly, My Life and Times in Cricket. Um, you know, let's um, start with where the book starts, uh, which is the scenes from your debut test at the Wanderers facing South Africa, and you're walking in at England in some sort of trouble at 4 for 2 with only two, 2.5 overs bold. You know, you were 20, 29 years old by then, and... Um, you had been in the English domestic setup for, uh, I think, 11 years by then. What do you believe took so long for uh, England to give you a go? Uh, probably a few factors, actually. Uh, probably my own in- inconsistency uh, in, in, in my early part of my career. You know, I was a good player. Uh, I was an, an excited and aggressive player. I played at Derbyshire where the, the pitches were, were perhaps a tad greener. Mm. Um, than, than other counties, and, and we very much favoured um, a very strong sort of seat-orientated uh, plan to, to go and attack other teams. So batting wasn't that easy, and it, it, but it did promote an, an aggressive and a, an exciting way of playing cricket, which is how I played my cricket. That just meant probably inconsistencies um, in my game. But uh, And it wasn't really until I was 25, 26 that I really started to find that consistency uh, and that's when I started really knocking on the door for England. Uh, I, I had a great year in, in 1996, scored uh, bucket loads of runs, finished just behind Graham Gooch in, in the run scoring list. But that year I got picked for nothing. That was a real blow. So mm. it, it just it just further um, put steel inside me and, and made me uh, want to knuckle down even more and, uh, and, and go that extra yard, really, that, that cricketers and sports people talk about to... Um, getting the most out of your, your potential and performance. And I was very, very fortunately um, a couple of years later made my England debut. I mean, you just mentioned the 96 season where you scored so many runs and you, you didn't get any call, uh, you know, for the national side or the Lions tour even, um, or, the, or the A tour uh, at that time. Um, yeah. uh, and you mentioned at various places in the book about your move to Sussex after spending a decade in Derbyshire, that you think, uh, believe, you believe that uh, that gave you the opportunity to knock on the doors of selectors and them paying more attention to you. I mean, how unfair is it, not just to you, I mean, in terms of uh, other cricketers, even now in smaller counties? Mm. Yeah, well, look, I mean, Derbyshire, Derbyshire, you know, it's a historic county, um, but but had a, a history, if you like, of producing, particularly around my area, producing uh, fast bowlers for England. Devon Malcolm, probably the most famous, mm-hmm. and um, and that was our policy then. That was the policy of the club to promote uh, a way of trying to win games through 
this uh, four or five pronged seam attack and and play on green pitches. And you're right, Derbyshire has and and always has been regarded as one of the smaller counties. So, and unfashionable counties. And, mm-hmm. and, and back in back in those days, it was it was that much harder to get recognition. Definitely, uh, you know. I, I mean, uh, if I may interrupt you, I mean, in the sense. It's kind of counterintuitive. I would think that if a batsman is scoring runs on pitches tailor-made for seam bowling and he's still mm. scoring runs, you would think that bat- batsman has got the tools to survive at the highest level. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I look at the end of the day, it's, uh, it is and it always has been a performance-led uh, uh, game, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. so quantity of runs and quality of runs as well, I think, is what gets you gets you further on in the game and as far as you can and whatever your potential is. I think technically, when I look back on my career, I think technically there were certain aspects of my game which had I had opportunities earlier in my career, mm-hmm. um, I could have amended technical parts of my game that would have made me a much better prospect of surviving a longer career in, in international cricket. I think when, when I came up against uh, the South African team, um, in that test series, they were probably as good a bowling unit that uh, the world of cricket had seen since the great era of West Indian quick bowlers. Uh, we're talking Alan Donald, Sean Pollock, young Jack Callis, who was bowling well in excess of 90 miles an hour then. Um, so it's a really, really strong bowling attack. And it, if you haven't got a rock-solid technique at that level... Uh, then, then you get found out, and that's what happened to me. And I think if I'd played earlier, I had opportunities to go on A-tours and work with um, the best coaches around the country, then perhaps perhaps just that might have helped and identify areas which I needed to improve on. But, you know, you get <laughs> precious few chances in this life, don't mm-hmm. you? And, and, and many, many, many people don't even get that one chance. So it was, it was indeed a great privilege to, to represent my country in, in 10 international games. And um, you know, I'm very, very grateful for those at the time, the selectors and those who were responsible for giving me that opportunity. I, I have absolutely um, no no problems whatsoever. You know, many don't make it. I got there. It didn't happen long term for me, but uh, that just meant that my focus could switch to uh, other important things like captain in Sussex to, to, to many, many great successful trophy uh, campaigns. Hmm. I want to talk a bit more about that uh, test co- about your test career, and then we can talk mm-hmm. about your time at Sussex sure. as well. You, know, you mentioned that it wasn't until almost to the end of the test series in South Africa, uh, which happened to be your you know the, only the five tests that you would play, that um, you know some senior player put an arm around you and had a pep talk yeah. with you. Uh, I think it was Michael Atherton. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Con- yeah, considering there were four England captains already in the side, you know your top four. Uh, were England captains, and then Michael Vaughan and Flintoff would go on to be captains. Um, yeah. Considering there was so much leadership over there, it's kind of bizarre that there wouldn't be that guidance or encouragement for a younger player. Well, yes. I think in any any uh, settled environment than with that amount of experience around, I would have got more from them, absolutely. But this was the dawn of Duncan Fletcher's new era, uh, Nasser Hussain had taken over as captain, so this was a very new, very fresh environment. No, and I think even the senior players um, back then were sort of establishing where they might fit in the future of this new regime. So it was, it was a very—I um, wouldn't say it was fragmented, but it wasn't. It certainly wasn't 
a tight, close-knit uh, unit of players hmm. who could openly uh, and honestly discuss all aspects of the game with each other and look after each other and help each other through difficult periods. It, it really was uh, almost an experimental era in, in, in Duncan Fletcher's new new era, new regime. And, and he was having a look at people and you felt that. You felt that you were being judged and, and tested, which is pretty much what test cricket is all about. Um, and quite rightly so. So, I, it, you know, it just, I suppose the timing from my aspect was, it could have been better. Mm-hmm. I could have played against probably a um, lesser opposition and had a had a better start to my international career and that might have kicked me on and, and made me more comfortable in that environment and made me ask more questions of those senior players. So I don't, I, I, but I, I can't stress enough, I don't have um, any regrets at all about that period. You know, I had a I had good opportunity. I was given five test matches. At the end of the day, you know, you, irrespective of how much help you get on the way, if you're given that opportunity and you aren't able to take it, then, you know, I don't think you can look back with, with, with any regret and say, well, you know, if only or I wish. It's just one of those things. It, it, it either happens for you or it doesn't. You know, of course, other, other aspects could have gone better for me. Um, a different environment might have got better, you know, might have got the better out of me. Had I played again a couple of years later, having been able to reflect and analyse, I might have even said, Mm-hmm. Um, much greater, much better then. But you know, it was you know the the, the, the die had been cast, and um, they'd made their mind up on on my game and, and and my temperament at that level, and and moved on. And, and other players had come in and get their opportunity, and off they go. So it, that's the way it is in 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 high level, top level sport. You know, you precious few chances come your way, and when you get them, you've got to make the most of it. And you know, it just didn't happen for me at, at that level. So. No regrets, really, and, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't castigate anybody in that dressing room. They, they were. They're all good friends. They're all good mates. They're all great cricketers, and they all had great careers themselves. And they'll all have their own thoughts and reflections about that particular Test series. But mm-hmm. they, they were mine. That this was. This was very much a, a new environment, and everybody was feeling their way into it and finding out where, where you know, where their part to play was going to be in the future. Of course, you got five tests, but uh, they were all in South Africa, and you said, you know, finest uh, pace bowling attack, and the conditions, especially in that late 90s, early 2000s South Africa, which is uh, incredible to handle for anybody traveling there. Um, Mm. Any thoughts on, you know, what if you had uh, gotten your start in home conditions, like, generally new yeah. players tend to get that benefit of doubt and like all right come home try to see uh, whether you can make runs in conditions that you are uh, aware of yeah absolutely i mean th- i think that was the biggest learning lesson for me coming away from south africa with us that uh, and it was michael atherton who, who who did put his hand around my shoulder and uh, and it was after the fifth test, unfortunately. Uh, but he did he did say, look, you know, the, the reflections on my game was that, you know, I played very much off the back foot and on the front foot with a, with a very vertical bat, mm-hmm. uh, which is great in England because the ball tends not to bounce much and it skids on. So you can play with a vertical bat off the back foot and punch balls through the covers. But out in South Africa where you've got a, a, a much harder surface and the ball kicks off the surface, uh, and there's greater pace, then you have to play uh, a different 
you have to play technically different, particularly off the back foot. Uh, and that is you have to play more, you have to play the ball later and play it more with a horizontal um, bat. Uh, and, and these were things that I wasn't really thinking about at the time. I, I, I guess I had my way of playing, my one way of playing, mm-hmm. uh, and I tried to implement that in that environment, and it didn't work. You know, trying to drive balls, which I felt were there, which in England would skid in into the middle of my bat. Here in South Africa, they were just taking a little bit of extra bounce and, uh, and, and of course, a little bit of movement off the seam or in the air, and, and they were presenting themselves higher up the bat and I was I was edging the, you know everything to the slips and uh, and, and likewise off the back foot trying to force through uh, sort of cover point region uh, with a, a punched vertical blade mm-hmm. and, and again the extra bounce would uh, was doing for me and and I think even though that was quite a long tour of, of nearly four months I it just because of the nature of um, the the program in between tests, I, I didn't really feel there was any opportunity uh, to sit down and, and properly go through uh, with the coach and, and the senior players, you know, what technical changes should I be looking at here and should I be making? And, and of course, had I done that, there also might have been a view that, well, it's, you know, there's a loss of confidence here in, in his mm. own ability. So it, it, it very much was a case of, of trying to knuckle down and, and find a way to score runs. I, I had no problem staying at the crease. I didn't feel at any stage that I was going to get bowled out by the South African side. You know, I'd come up against these guys before. I was a good player against quick bowling in county cricket. Um, but my issues and my problems came when it came to scoring runs. I, I really felt that I, they had worked out my areas where I score my runs and they shut them down brilliantly. And, and I, I really struggled to, to sort of come up with a mental plan of how to deal with that and how I was going to get myself, um, not just through a couple of hours at the crease, but a couple of hours with some uh, a positive contribution to the mm-hmm. game and taking it forward. And, and that's, that really was where, where I was undone. Is I was then trying to manufacture areas in which I might score runs when, when really... Uh, a better technique would have would have just delivered that for me. Hmm. Um, you know, you come back. Um, you you had already resigned to the fact that you may not play for in England again, even by the fourth test in Cape Town. Um, I want to ask you how the life of a county professional, especially one that was you know almost thirty, is already played for England. You come back. You feel that you may not get another chance. But you still have to, you know, you're a professional, so you go out and play. Mm. But, you know, you, you play the domestic game, you know, everybody around the world, you know, you play in the Shield or Ranji Trophy or in the county cricket, whatever, because you want to go on go on and play for the country. Um, sure. But, but when, that's, when you feel that that door is closed, how, how does your life change and how do you rededicate yourself to cricket? knowing that you may not play down the color, national colors again? Yeah, it's a good question, that. It's, uh, and very relevant, because I would say the season following that tour, I was in a really, really bad spot um, as a person, as a character. I was scoring runs, definitely. I, I was hell-bent, if you like, on trying to prove to or that I was still worth uh, looking at and I, I call it my season where I played angry. I was angry with everything. I was mm-hmm. angry with the umpires. I was angry with the players. I was angry with myself. I was. It, it was just a, an awful year, really. 
Um, and reflected, sadly, you know, through my captaincy, uh, it was comfortably my worst year as a captain, the leader at Sussex. Um, and, and we had a, a really, really poor season there. And, and I take full responsibility for that. I really do. Uh, at the time, it was difficult to see what was happening to me. Uh, but really, it was just purely the fact that I was having to come to terms with the fact that for for 11 years, I'd had this one ambition, this real strong ambition to play for my country. Mm-hmm. And then having achieved it, it, it was almost over before it had begun. Yeah. And and then I actually had to adjust and um, become far more self-aware of myself uh, and the impact that I was having on, on other people. And, and not just my team players, but but the the officials and uh, and the supporters and uh, and my opposition as well and and that's really where I you know I mean this is this is where it becomes um, a fantastic story for me in that uh, it was by no means the end <laughs> having having realised that England was was over mm-hmm. realistically by it was almost the beginning for me um, and and that's really where I, I I you know throw my arms and embrace. The, the county Sussex for giving me that home and that opportunity and that support and that love and that care and that environment that um, that really enabled me to rediscover you know values of playing the game uh, that would get me through another eight years and and eight fantastic years that, that were so very very successful and you know where we formed a formidable team. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say of superstars. It was a formidable team of, of really strong, team-ethic-orientated, hard-working, grafting characters who just played the game as hard as you possibly could on the field but tried to enjoy it uh, as much as we could in and around the, you know, the daily routines of, of being in an intense environment put you through. So, um, And we formed some very, very strong friendships which will last forever. And, and you know, that, that era for me, Mm-hmm. was probably <clears throat> probably the happiest time of my my life when when you know myself and Peter Moores started to really construct a team uh, of individuals together who who were really focused on on delivering whatever it took whatever was required to be successful and uh, and beat um, you know the other 17 counties out there that those times were probably the best in my life I, I was you know when I reflect back on those that's when that's when I'd really start to discover just how um, strong my characteristics and my personality was and, and my ability to lead and, and get others to lead as well. I mean, that's a perfect segue to uh, what I was going to ask you. You know, you transform into the, you know, you dedicate yourself to the uh, first class game, you transform into a different kind of leader um, and you win three championship trophies with Sussex. Uh, but uh, in terms of developing of leadership uh, for England, um, let me ask you this question. Because these days, you know, they identify young player. He's basically pulled out of the first-class system and he goes into the academies uh, and then he goes on lion tours and stuff. How do they learn to lead? Um, you know, when you're not surrounded by grizzled veterans and younger players and you're playing five, six days a week, um, mm. uh, you know, for example, Alistair Cook had to learn the job of captaincy while he was doing it, rather than you know uh, having a very good idea of what it is to be captain. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a really valid point. I think a very 
very pertinent in English cricket at the moment and, and probably in world cricket. In, um, what, what captains need more than anything else is time, time to develop in national level. I mean, just think about Alistair Cook and the pressure that he has been, scrutiny that he has been under um, throughout his, his early time as England captain and, and credit to him that he has the character and the characteristic strengths to have come through that when many, many other captains, I think, would have folded and, and, and said, you know what, give it somebody else. I'm not in for this. He's, he's stuck to his guns. He got through it. So I think that character forms a massive part of that for captaincy. It's not just about knowledge uh, and being able to make tactically the right decisions. That's probably only a small fraction of the job. I think where the, the, the huge elements of the job uh, lie are in, in personal characteristics, understanding yourself, mm. being very self-aware about what you do and how you present yourself, and then taking that to another level, really understanding what your team are, who they are, what makes them perform to the best of their individual ability, and then being able to mould that into a collective. And that takes time to really understand that. You need help, you need outside assistance, you need good people around you, you need support, and of course you need the right players as well. So that that formula doesn't just happen overnight. And, and as for, if you like, preparing young people to captain in the future, mm-hmm. I think we're we're still we're still only touching touching the very tip of the iceberg here in, in the support and the, the elements that we do. I know Andy Flower has this on his agenda as part of his new role with ECB. Mm-hmm. He's really, can, we, can we take the element of coaching? You know, we're, we're so used to coaching batting skills, bowling skills, fielding skills, fitness skills, mental skills. Can we now take it to an even further element? Can we coach captaincy skills? Is that possible? Um, or is it just about, unfortunately being in the job and learning mm-hmm. on the job. Um, and I think that that's, you know, they were touching the tip of the iceberg and there's, there's still so much more to go here. And, and you know, and, and I think it, they should use, they should really, really canvas and use people who, like myself and Graham Gooch and David Gower and Michael Vaughan and players who, re- who have been in the seat, in the captaincy seat, and canvas there, because everybody will have, certainly have different views and opinions about their time but I'm sure there'll be also a correlation of elements which can be identified and then passed on and, and maybe coached into, into young captains. In the book, you mention about um, you, you know, the, the one overseas player spot in a county side. You should usually reserve it for an overseas spinner. You know, in your case at Sussex, you had uh, Mushtaq Ahmed, uh, obviously. But if you do that, my question is, how do you develop uh, spin bowling in England, yeah. If you keep giving your uh, top level spot to the um, you know overseas spinner, how can you go about molding the up and coming spinners in England? Yeah, no, very valid, valid question. I think my answer to that is it it, it, it depends what criteria you live and exist under. So if 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 I'm let's for say for example if if I'm at county and and the bosses there say right. The criteria here is mm. not about winning competitions and competing to win everything. It is a development of players. And we want to develop 11 um, homegrown talents. Uh, so we want seam bowlers, we want all-rounders, we want batsmen, we want wicket-keepers, and we also want spinners. And that, that, prevent, that promotes and, and presents a very different 
way of thinking in terms of putting your teams together and uh, and and developing your own players. I think when I look back to my period and my time at Sussex, uh, and certainly in the beginning at Surrey, mm-hmm. there was for me there was it was very very clearly presented to me that it's this was about putting the very best team on the part to win games of cricket and be consistent in winning games of cricket and and providing silverware which let's face it at Sussex had, had been mm-hmm. uh, had not been there for for any length of time or, or ever really in terms of the championship and then Surrey when I went there there had been a 10-year void of any silverware so it was really was about immediately sort of having an impact and for me I think if you're going to be a strong strong force and competitive force in 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 county cricket you have to be strong at home in your on your home territory uh, because half your games are played there so you identify what the wickets are um, and then you play to your strengths so both at at Hove Hove and and at the Oval um, if you haven't got a a quality spinner in your side you are going to struggle to win games of cricket that's that's a definite for me so that, I, I strongly believe that that was the balance of, the, of, uh, of how they attack get the best spinner you possibly could in the side and then we'll, we'll, we'll always find enough runs and we'll always get enough uh, of, a, of a plan for scoring runs out of the batsman we a good fielding unit strong unit a fit unit um, a good spinner also and this is the key a good spinner also buys precious time and space for your seam bowling attack. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're you're overworking your seam bowlers all day long. You know, when, when we had Mushtaq in the side, he was gold dust for those the seam attack because he basically just and this was his desire, not not my desire to keep keeping going. His desire to bowl meant that it, he he took one end uh, mm-hmm. out of the equation, which meant we could rotate happily the other end and keep seam bowlers fresh and and not flog them and not bowl them into the ground so they, <laughs> they stayed fit fit all season and, and it and, and it worked and, and that's um you know keeping your keeping your seamers fit is a is a real skill and and I think you know we, we were able to do that purely because we had a world class spinner. To wrap up, you know, you played with and against a lot of the who's of who's who of cricket in the last twenty five, thirty years. You know, you played alongside yeah. Mohammad Azaruddin at Derbyshire, um, with Dean Jones there as well, and you played against Wasim Akram. You have you were on the field when Tendulkar scored his maiden Test hundred at Old Trafford. Yeah, so you know whole spectrum. You know you have Lehman and Stuart Law, all these guys, mm-hmm. and of course all the England players. Um, who would be the best uh, English bowler batsman that you've ever played with or against? And who would be the best uh, non-English batsman bowler, according to you, in your uh, cricket career? Goodness, you're putting me very much (laughs) on the spot. Uh, I would say that of all the players players that I played against um, who were English, Probably the best batsman was Graham Gooch. Um, as for bowler, do you know, I was fortunate to play against this guy. Um, he was my childhood hero. Uh, I remember walking out to bat against him at New Road at Worcester. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, coming up against your childhood hero, who perhaps was in his final years and, you know, not as, um, not as sprightly as he was when I grew up following him. Uh, but I was completely mesmerised by him, and he bowled me a juicy half volley, which I chipped to extra cover and got got out for very few, and walked off. And I was in a, like a trance, 
Um, but this guy, for me, was it was it epitomizes everything that is great about the game of cricket, and that was um, Syrian Botham. Um, hmm. I think he was he, not that he bowled, not that he was at his best when I faced him, but I think he was the best English bowler that that I played against. Um, without him bowling the best spell against me. I think that would be the fair, fairest way to, to summarise that. And as for overseas, um, there is only absolutely two names that come out crashing out. Uh, batting, um, I was privileged to see uh, on more than one occasion some magnificent uh, innings uh, from, from the front house seat at slip of uh, uh, Vivian Richards. Uh, he was magnificent. Um, and uh, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us. The best bowler I ever faced uh, was Malcolm Marshall. Hmm. Uh, two, two, two absolute legends and uh, wonderful, wonderful cricketers. Fantastic, fantastic, Chris. Um, so you know, you've been batting consultant with Sri Lanka as of last year when uh, Sri Lanka played in England. Um, so, what does future hold for you in terms of coaching, batting consultant? or, you know, cricket management position? For the last uh, nine months, I've worked with the, the Netherlands cricket team. Um, you know, we've won uh, years without uh, winning a tournament, and uh, we've won back-to-back tournaments now, qualification to the World Cup in March, which should be a really exciting event. Uh, I'm always open and, uh, and searching and looking for uh, a more permanent role in coaching, be it in English cricket or world um as a specialist who coaches batting or as a more all-round performance skills coach or team. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an open world at the moment. It's a wonderful world. I love coaching. Uh, I love the game of cricket. It's in my DNA. And uh, I very much look forward to the exciting days uh, ahead, wherever that may be and whoever that may be with. All right. On that note, Chris, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. And I wish you all the very best, man. That's in the air. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.